Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome back to Talks with Terry on this lovely afternoon. I am Terry and I'm happy to be back and I'm happy to give you guys another weekend's worth of eh, reasonably good content I'd say. Anyway, for this week's topic I'm deciding to just go ahead and talk about and rant about mainly um, education, mainly education around just the United States, because I arguably, or I don't, I don't know anything about um, education in, in many other countries, and as a fellow victim of the public education system, I just, you know, there's a lot of things that bug people about the U.S. education system, and I'm not the first one to talk about it. There have been people all over social media sites whether, you know, TikToks, podcasts, YouTube videos, all about how just not great the U.S. education system has been for them or to them, both from a more educational standpoint, such as the things they learned or did not learn, more likely, and then there's more, like, emotional things, such as abuse and bullying um, and other serious issues that people have had to deal with because of the education system. So what I'm thinking is that this is likely going to be a sort of two-part episode here. Um, one episode, this first episode is probably going to be just me talking about some of the the, the problems and negative observations that I've made uh, personally about the education system, the public education system, and honestly, uh, the secondary education system with college and universities in the United States. Um, and just go go down the list of all of the negative things that, you know, I've kind of noticed and that I've heard from other people uh, tell their tales. And uh, yeah, just sort of go through all the bad stuff. And then um, hopefully for the second part, uh, I will be doing a bit more of like a, I guess a what if scenario. It's more of like, how I would do it, I guess, if I ruled the world or if I was in charge of education, but uh, that'll, that'll definitely come probably next week, um, and I, I, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be going over anything groundbreaking or revolutionary in terms of uh, these, in terms of these topics, so it's just, again, me ranting to the void uh, about something that I'm, I'm actually pretty passionate about. I actually, I actually got really passionate about education, not in a, not in a bright sense, like the way that, uh, most people do, especially like the best teachers out there are passionate about education where they love teaching people. They love, you know, learning new knowledge and everything. That wasn't really what it was for me. For me, it was more of a passion of like, I want to change this or I would like to see major changes in this because I think it is uh, seriously broken. And it's honestly very sad uh, to see the education system in the state uh, it has been and to hear that, you know, when a lot of people talk about um, school, their times in public school, um, they don't always talk about it very fondly, at least, you know, the years they were in school, whether they were their early teenage years or whatever, People could talk about them very fondly, but as far as being in the school and being part of the school programs and whatnot, they don't always have positive things to say. 
So let's kind of let's kind of jump into this. First thing I want to talk about is sort of what is being taught uh, in schools. Now, of course, it's it comes all around the the reading, writing, and arithmetic. Um, that's sort of how things always sort of been. But there are some problems I think we have with what we decide to teach people as far as subject goes. We usually like to put over umbrella topics um, or big, you know, the big subjects such as, you know, you got to learn your science, you got to learn your um, English, and you have to learn your mathematics, and then everything else kind of comes after that, honestly, such as history, foreign language, whatever. Um, but I, one of my issues is it seems like a lot of those things, a lot of those subjects, we just say, well, you got to learn science. But then when you actually dig into it, it's like, well, what actually are you learning? So for example, in, in the science realm of things, I had to take a lot of just natural science and natural biology just because there weren't many options open for me when whenever I did get to pick classes, and that's another thing, being able to pick classes who we can get into later. But, you know, of the, the options I had, most of it uh, was like, mm, I don't really want to learn about this stuff, so I'd rather just stick with, you know, biology. Now, that would be fine. Biology is a fine subject and a fine course. However, it, um, it really shows the sort of repetitiveness of a lot of these classes I took. So, for example, I took, you know, in high school, I took a biology one class and, you know, you went over the subjects of like, you know, the cells, the DNA within the cells, how, you know, mitosis and stuff works, getting on up into, you know, bigger biology of, uh, you know, organs, bone structures, very medical, but again, it's biology, it's the study of life, so it's fine, um, as well as, you know, the basic stuff about plants and whatnot. Um, and again, it's a fine subject and it can be very interesting, but my problem was after going through it once, I ended up going through it again, um, in honors biology too. So it was an honor. So it was supposedly, a a class above just a regular biology class, you know, for honors students. And you'd think you'd learn a bit more, but to be honest, nothing from that class really stood out except there was a cute girl that I went out with for a little bit, uh, and we met in that class together. Um, but yeah, like there wasn't much, it was kind of the same thing. You were, you learned the same things about the cells and about mitosis and, uh, you know, it's kind of, you went from dissecting frogs and just said, well, instead guys were dissecting rats, um, which is kind of cool, I guess, but, um, it, uh, it, it just felt like, you know, we already, I felt like I already learned this like a year ago. So shouldn't I be learning something else in this higher level biology class? Um, so there, I think there's a lot of repetitiveness. Another problem I have is that some of the subjects I think just don't teach the right things when it comes to that particular subject. And this idea actually comes from a friend of mine named Tyler. Um, uh, he was a, you know, he is a computer science person he he's became very proficient in coding and everything but of course because of his major and because of his work um he had to take a lot of mathematics classes and we were sort of talking about you know how education works 
uh, to all of our you know friends, and you know, of course, we all went to the main, the same high school. And one of the things he brought up was that um, we don't teach math correctly, or we don't teach math the way that it should be. And the way they explained it is that when we teach math, we teach people sort of a formula. We teach them a bunch of formulas, and then we give them problems to solve with those formulas, and then that's it. That's basically it. You know, you learn the quadratic formula, you learn how to, you know, you learn how to find like the basic circumference of a circle or whatever, and then the teacher hands you a test or a worksheet that has stuff to practice on, and then, you know, you do it, you get the grade, and it's like, all right, well, we're moving on to something else. Um, the, the issue that someone like Tyler has with that is he says it needs to be um, a bit more about sort of mathematical theory and a mathematical way of looking at the world. So, for example, when you hear about statistics, I think statistics is a very important class, actually, in the math sphere, um, which may mean something coming from an English major who was obviously terrible at math, but I think statistics is important because when you think about it, especially in these days, there are a lot of people that throw statistics out at us, you know, especially to be persuasive, and to the uneducated, you don't really know what that means. Uh, so when you hear that, oh, this, you know, such and such treatment is 10% more effective than the other one, uh, and it's like, oh, so it's 10% more, so that means it's the better deal, right? It's like, well, if you brought, if you broke down the statistics, it might not actually be that much better. It might just be slightly marginally better. Or in the same vein, it's like, you know, it's X amount of, uh, X percentage of the population makes up the amount of, um, the amount of heart attacks or, you know, morbid obesity rates or whatever it may be. And you might look at that number and be like, oh, well, it only says that like five or 10 or 13% or whatever of those individuals are, uh, are involved in it. So that's, you know, that's not that big of a deal, but really when you break it down, it's like, it actually is a big deal. Um, so, and so going back to what my buddy Tyler was talking about, he's basically talking about instead of throwing a bunch of, um, instead of throwing mountains and mountains of proofs and formulas of mathematics at people and say, here, just go take this worksheet and solve it. What instead should happen is that you work through the problems together and then you have to sort of mainly get it into like a, a more sociological sort of way of looking at things or a more philosophical way of looking at things, you know. For example, by being able to find the volume of something, what really can that tell you about uh, this real life thing in the world around us? So that's kind of what he's saying. He's saying it's it's a more of a thought process that we should be teaching um, when it, when in regards to mathematics and those formulas and those numbers or everything's are just meant to be a way to teach you the thought process. But we don't teach the thought process. We only teach the formulas and the numbers. And then when people ask, you know, why do why do we need this? When are we going to need this? It's like, oh, you'll need it later in life probably. But then you get later in life and you're sitting there thinking, well, wait, 
when am I using this? I, I feel the same way in hell in my past three jobs or whatever. I haven't had to learn. I haven't had to use the quadratic formula. I haven't had to use, you know, a squared plus B squared equals C squared or whatever. I, and so I, I just think there's a lot of, we're pumping a lot of knowledge into people, but it's knowledge that's going wasted and it ends up going in one ear and out the other, especially when you look at the speed that sort of things are taught to us. The, you know, you spend a week on one chapter and then after that week is over, it's like, all right, well, we're on to the next chapter. And it's, it's honestly very telling, you know, when I look back at stuff like middle school and high school, um, and it's like, well, we're going through all of these sections incredibly fast in the matter of a couple, in the matter of one, two weeks maximum. It's like, wow, life seems to be coming at us pretty fast or whatever. But then when you get to college and it's like, all right, well, we're going to be spending the next month on this one book or this one subject matter uh, or whatever it may be. And then it's like, well, that's kind of strange to be honest. It doesn't, it, it's a lot, but it's also not a lot. You know what I mean? Like, you know, if I got a math test from high school, it'd be like, well, we got, you know, four or five chapters worth of material that we got to go over in this, in this test. Whereas in college, it's like, you know, the test is the same length, but there's only two chapters that we're going through. Um, and oftentimes you have, you have a more thorough understanding of those chapters because you spent more time on them. So I think the amount of time that we spend doing certain things in school is, um, is definitely something to think about. You know, how much time are we spending teaching something? And is that enough to really, you know, isolate what it is that we learned from that chapter? You know, you can teach all of, you know, you can teach all of American history or whatever in the course of a semester, I guess, but then you have to step back and think, well, did the students really remember much of what we talked about? You know, can they still memorize what happened in the War of 1812, even though we sandwiched that in between the War for Independence and, you know, another war? It's always war-centric, which, of course, historically speaking, yes, wars are important, but always war-centric. Anyway, um, going on to that, kind of going back to this idea of time, I also... It's one of my biggest criticisms that I have just about the culture we grew up in 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 relation to how education is and how we as uh, students develop. And it was always this thing, and I'm pretty sure it was on some like TV show or um, or pop or popular movie or whatever that um, the actress kind of like explains it to this teacher character of like, well, why you know why you guys should be using you students should be using your time you know more importantly you should be more focused with your time to focus on certain things like uh other activities or or what have you you know there's a there's a lot of stuff where we as students are responsible for in regards to time management um and and the laundry list of things that we need to do However, the system already becomes rigged against us. Because think of it this way. I believe in high school, the typical day started at um, 8 a.m. You know, that's typically when school started at 8 a.m. Usually you'd have to start your day 
uh, one, maybe two hours earlier than that to make sure that you could get up out of bed, get bite to eat, catch the bus or drive if you uh, if you needed to. Um, if there was some place you had to be before, such as talking to a teacher or, you know, dropping equipment off or your instrument off like I had to do, um, that can kind of get into your morning time. But let's say the typical day starts at 8 and then you go from 8 and then you're in class after class after class and then, you know, you maybe get uh, 45 minutes to an hour of actual of, of lunchtime uh, where, you know, anywhere from 5 to 10 minutes of that could just be waiting in the lunchroom. But, you know, you got that, you got that hour of lunch period and then it's like, well, now you're back to class and then you have three or four other classes in the afternoon. And then let's say the bell, the bell rings 10 till 2. I believe that's uh, when it ended for high school for us. Bell ends 10 till 2. Um, so you get out at 2 o'clock, maybe 3 o'clock. So, you know, break it down. You got 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 1, 2, 3. Let's just say 3 o'clock is the, is the absolute cutoff point. Take off an hour for, take off an hour or so for lunch. And that's just being generous. You're in school for seven hours. Now you get home. Uh, you get home after that uh, three o'clock bell or whatever. And so let's say you're home 3.15, 3.30, maybe even four, depending on how bad your bus ride, your bus route is or your uh, situation is. Now, some kids, they have to, they have after school activities. They have band practice. They have football or soccer or gym practice, whatever it may be. Um, some people, they stay, they try to stay for extracurricular clubs. Some students, unfortunately, have to work because they want to make a disposable income to help themselves out or help out their family. So some of them actually have to, uh, actually have to work at the high school age. Um, and some of them, you know, they might have other responsibilities. They might be in charge of looking after uh, the younger siblings in the house while the parents are still at work, or they might have a plethora of chores to do. Hell, I'm pretty sure there was um, a guy in the high school band that we were a part of. I'm pretty sure his name was Joe, and he grew up on a farm. And, you know, he had farm stuff to do on top of, you know, being in band and uh, doing all that, and then doing all the stuff required of him for, for high school. Now, add on to that... Um, a lot of you know a lot of stuff that goes with the work that you need to put in to the class itself. So you have that seven you have that seven hours a day, and then you have a few hours that you must spend afterwards to do chores or work or uh, do extracurricular activities, whatever it may be. Um, but you also have to spend a decent amount of time on any homework that you might get, any projects that you might get, much of which you, it's not something you can put off because it's usually due the next day or, uh, or even the day after. Um, and all of those classes will have homework. All of those classes will have assignments. And so you come home at night and you had like, you know, six class periods, uh, six or seven class periods, more or less. And those six or seven class periods give you homework well, it can be a real crapshoot about how long it takes you to do that homework. Sometimes it can take you, 
only a couple hours to do all of it. Sometimes there are people out there, they need at least an hour to actually do well and get all of them done. So if you need an hour on top of all those, uh, on top of those seven classes of assignments, well, then that's seven extra hours that you need to spend doing homework. And of course, after that, it's well past any bedtime that you might have established for yourself and you wouldn't be able to do anything extracurricular like chores or have a job or even have an extracurricular activity. Hell, I, one of my best friends, he, um, he was a part of three sports and a bunch of AP courses. Now, to be fair, is, was it smart for him to be a part of three different sports? Not at the same time, mind you, but was it smart for him to be in, on three different sports and a lot of uh, advanced placement courses? Probably not. You know, he didn't, I don't think he knew his limits really at the time. Um, and it almost drove him to sort of a mental breakdown because he would have to, you know, he would have to spend all of his all of his day at school and then he'd immediately have to go to practice for something like wrestling or football or tennis. Um, and then he would have to come home and it'd be, you know, it'd be really late in the evening, probably get you know, a meal from his family, and then he immediately have to hit the books. And remember, this was advanced placement classes. So these were basically college level classes. They even counted for college level credit. Um, and so, and they were a lot of work, especially AP biology. I mean, you literally had, you literally had college level labs and you needed uh, special like lab procedures to be done and filled out whenever you did a lab and it was a lot of hard work and everyone knew it was a lot of hard work and again it got to the point where he was in one of his morning classes and he almost like broke down crying in class because he was exhausted he had all this practice he had to do all this homework he had to do um, all these responsibilities and it was he really didn't have a way out because his parents were kind of the one that pressured him his dad pressured him into doing the sports and his mom who was a professor at the univert at a university um, she was kind of the one that pressured him into taking all the college level courses now their hearts might have been in the right place but that was still a lot for him to take on and it got to the point where he's like He's barely getting any sleep. He's passing out a whole lot just from exhaustion. And it can be a lot. And he's not alone. His he might be a he might be a bit on the extreme side, but there are a lot of people that have to a lot of students have to deal with that. We don't understand how important time can be to those students. So I think it's really a, a serious a serious thing to consider just how much strain we are putting on the American student with the amount of testing that we force them to do, such as, you know, state aptitude tests. I mean, we had the Illinois state aptitude test, the ISAT. You know, we did that almost our entire uh, public school careers, almost, uh, just year after year after year. And, um, and hell, you can look at a bunch of stuff of how uh, standardized testing is also just a huge, you know, uh, wrench in the system because some districts tie things like uh, like pay and funding to test scores. Uh, a lot of uh, some universities out there tie your test scores into whether or not you're going to be accepted. And so we put a lot of we put a lot of pressure on just that one test score. And what happens is that we tailor the 
the classrooms and what we are learning just so we can do well on those tests and then we get the tests and nothing that we learn really matters to be honest i if it did i mean if if the system did work then you wouldn't see all of those there's that there's a whole business model of test prep for things like the act and the sat i took an act uh, prep course um you know and um it uh it tech, I mean, it helped me out to learn how to sort of beat the test, um, and I did get a slightly better score. Um, but ultimately, uh, I don't think it had a huge amount of bearing on how I got into uh, my top, the top university that I wanted to get into, because I already had solid grades for many years. I had, I had great conduct, no, no serious misconduct or anything. I was, you know, I was more than willing to be a part of the group. And so by the time that I went in to try to have an interview with the admissions officer to say, hey, I really want to, you know, get in or everything and I don't want test scores to be a huge factor in it. She's like, oh, yeah, you're already in. Don't worry about it. You're already admitted and we're going to give you a big old scholarship. So but going back to this whole thing. Uh, standardized testing is also a big issue, but we also, we just put so much onto the shoulders of students and say, these are your responsibilities. And then we turn around and we say to them, well, why aren't you guys spending more time outside? Why don't you guys, back in the day, people would say, you get out of school and you can go off and do a bunch of other stuff before you came back home. It's like, well... These days we can't do that because we got a ton of homework. And I think a homework should not be something that's mandatory. I think a homework um, should be sort of an extracurricular thing that's like, hey, if you don't understand this, then here's a worksheet that you can take home and try to try to learn you better, I guess. I like that's another thing to talk about. Uh, so that's that's another thing. Uh that's all I'm going to say really about the academic sort of side of how schools are run. There's definitely a lot more to cover um, as far as like funding schools. I don't think that schools are funded enough uh, by the federal government at all. Um, also, a lot of funding comes from the fact that it, it's due to property taxes. And so that's when you get into things like the socioeconomic status of the community you're in and all the redlining and the property values and that's that's just another rabbit hole to go down to and it's a shame that i don't want that to be the system that we have but it's a shame that it's the system that we have but going on let's let's look more at the um at sort of the personal side of things um and what kind of the toll that it takes on a lot of people um the public education system and first of all i think it has I think there's a problem with how we view excellence uh, and how we view our aptitudes. Now, if you actually look at the grading scale, just a generalized grading scale for academic work, you know, you got the A, you got A, B, C, D, F, skip E, you don't need it, but you have A, A B, C, D, F um, to, go through, to go through your works. But if you actually sat down and understood what those letters represented from a statistical standpoint, of course, um, it's actually, it's actually tells a bit of a story about how 
we sort of view um, perfection in education systems. Uh, so when you look at it, F of course stands for failure. You've you know you've unfortunately failed, and there's you know you got to retake the test or you got to retake the assignment, retake the whole class, whatever you you failed. You didn't do well at all. You didn't understand anything at all. Now D. That's when you start into the averages. D is technically below average. means on the bell curve, you didn't fail, um, but you didn't do as best as sort of the the majority of people or whatever. So work harder, and uh, you can at least get into the average point or whatever. Um, then you have a C. C is the average. C is really the top of that bell curve where most, uh, where everything sort of gets jumbled and compiled. It's like, Generally speaking, if you are a if you are just an average human being, which most of us are, most of us are just average human beings, and you get a C, that's fine. You understood it. Uh, you understood it to the best of your ability, and you have a decent handle on it. You know, you won't be made a PhD in the subject, but you know, you have enough to to get by. That's why a lot of people, I think, have the expression C's C's get degrees. Now then you go to the B level. The B level, of course, is above average, actually. Congratulations, you're a bit better at this subject than, you know, the average is, you know. You got a, a bit better memory, I suppose, or uh, you're just better at solving the problems, or you really seem to go go well for it. So congratu- congratulations for you. You're uh, a bit above average. So, you know, keep up the good work, I guess. And then you get to A. Now, A stands for excellence, exceeding expectations. Congratulations. You've gone above and beyond. You know, you're a master at the craft, basically. Um, There's no, you got 100%. There's nothing better that you could ask for in regards to this. And uh, and when when you say exceptional, when you say excellent, really, and of course, it it helps to put percentages by it. It's like when you get a hundred percent, it's like, congratulations, you did perfect. You did perfect on it. Now, I don't like this. I don't like the way that we do this, especially because we, the, the way that the, the chart lays out, such as a normal bell curve is completely different when you, um, sort of put the importance and the expectations behind it. Because when you look at the data, it's like, all right, well, it's a bell curve, of course, where you get F all the way on the left and A all the way on the right. And most people are in the C, in the bell curve. Or they're in the D, C, and B range. But when you look at expectations and what we expect for ourselves, everything is A's. It's like, if you got F, you failed, you're, you know, you're trash, you need to start over again and work a little harder. And it's the same kind of thing for D, C, and B. You know, D is like, well, you passed, congratulations. You did the least amount of work when you were able to get through with it. C is like, well, all right, that's not too bad, but it's not really great either. You could still try really harder and actually get somewhere. B is more of like, all right, well, it's not a C, but it's not an A either. So you're kind of on the cusp of what we're looking for. And then A is the thing we all strive for. It's on all the motivational posters or whatever. It's like get A plus work, get A minus work, whatever. Shoot for A's or whatever. 
you know, shoot for the moon because even if you miss, you land among the stars kind of crap. I don't know. The problem that I, the problem that I have with that is I think it can lead to a lot of um, uh, insecurity issues in a lot of students because there are generally people out there who don't do well on a certain subject or they don't do well on things like testing or just in lear- traditional learning and traditional schooling in general. They just don't do well on it. And then when they're getting a bunch of papers back, then it's like, well, you got a D, you got a C, you got a B. It's not, you know, it's not really great or whatever. And then you keep spear- spurring them on to work harder and harder and harder. But really, they're already on the ber- on the verge of having smoke come out of their ears. Like, that's a lot of stress to put on people, especially if you're coming from a family that says, well, you got to get A's. You got to get nothing but A's. You got to keep going, keep going. We want you to get, we want you to get those A's. We want to get you those 92 percentage, those 100 percentages, whatever it may be. And that can put a lot, a lot of stress on a typical person, on a typical student, especially if they just have a predisp- predisposition to struggle on stuff. Like for me, I was fine with all the, I did fine on all sort of the regular homework and all the regular in-class assignments, but when it came to tests, I sucked at tests because I think my uh, inherent anxiety issues were would well up with a test because I couldn't check the answers, and so, you know, it felt like every wrong answer was kind of that punch-to-the-gut sort of feeling, and that I think that can just be really damaging to a lot of students. Um, and there have also, this also bleeds over into standardized testing. I mean, you've had, uh, you've had reports of people who have become distraught over, uh, over just the testing in general, but you know, the results of the test, how well they do, the amount of preparation they're supposed to do. Hell, you got testing packets or whatever for the instructors that says, oh, you know, if a, if a child vomits or passes out or begins to cry or whatever, like, just here's what you're supposed to do. It's like, you shouldn't have, that really shouldn't be a thing in the instruction packet. It's like, if the student just breaks down um, physically and emotionally, uh, just, you know, politely remove them from the premises and tell everyone to keep going on with their tests. Like, I think that's a serious issue. And uh, a lot of people can really have a lot of damage dealt with them to do that sort of stuff um yeah and it to some people it becomes too much and like i said for my friend with the crazy schedule it could lead you to have a bit of a mental breakdown and cry because you just can't keep up with the workload or you don't have you can't keep up with the time uh no matter how hard you try you're you're it, it makes it seem like you're never enough and that's just not the that's just not the truth as long as you're you know getting above the f's and hell even the d's um you know as long as you're getting into that average range of c and above i think that's fine if someone gets a d that doesn't mean they're a failure either it just means hey you're actually really trying and you're you're getting on the right track if we work together with you a little bit i think that you can actually uh, get on the right track and actually succeed in um, what you're trying to do. So I, that's one of the emotional things. And then we have issues such as um, uh, such as bullying. Um, 
and all other manner of social issues and even criminal activity that can happen uh, in schools. And looking at bullying, I know there's a lot of uh, psychology and sociology that goes into what makes a bully and everything, but I think the way that a lot of schools handle it is um, not not well. You know, you can show all of the you know cheesy dare campaign style uh, videos or whatever in class about you know bullying is not okay. You know, you're a loser if you're a bully, which you are, by the way. If you are a bully, you are kind of a loser. Um, you know what? What can you do as a bystander? The dangers of the different types of bullying, like physical, emotional, and cyberbullying, all that stuff. Um, but the issue is, when it comes down to actually tracking down the bullies um, and sort of persecuting them or holding them accountable, I think a lot of schools really miss the mark when it comes to that. Um, and you see it in the way that schools handle fights. Now, of course, if you know two people get into a disagreement and they just start throwing hands at each other, then yes, yeah, separate them and um, you know discipline them accordingly because you're not supposed to be having open fistfights at school. But a lot of times, I think what happens is that one individual starts bullying another individual, and instead of sitting there and taking it and being abused, they def- they decide to fight back, which is something that. A lot of us are told, you know, if someone is doing something to you that you don't like, um, then you need to fight back either with words or with actions. And those actions can end up into fights. And then what happens is that, you know, you get into that fight with someone and they break you up and they take you into the office and they look at both the bully and the victim and say, you guys should not be fighting or, you know. They look at the victim and it's like, why did you throw the punch? Well, they were, you know, they were bullying me, calling me names. And then eventually it just becomes a, it just becomes, you know, who do you believe more? You know, is, is someone lying here? Is this a general, general or genuine, um, report of bullying or did someone just have a bad, wake up on the wrong side of the bed and decide to throw haymakers at somebody? And that's, I think that's an issue. And then, you know, what happens is like, congratulations, you've been bullied. Now we're going to suspend you or even expel you or something like that. And it can be, uh, it can be a serious thing. And I think a lot of times, a lot of, uh, bullies just, we don't handle them well either. It's like, well, congratulations, you're already kind of a delinquent and having trouble with people. So we're going to suspend you. That really doesn't do anything except give them mainly a free vacation, almost. Um, expelling is a little harsh, but I mean, if they're a repeat offender and they have some serious offenses, then yeah, I can, I can understand them getting expelled. But more often than not, when it comes to someone being a bully, it's like you actually have to counsel them. You actually have to ha- a have a counselor that knows what the hell they're doing. And B, actually require the student to have more than, like, one counseling session, you know, because clearly there's something going on with them and with their mind that says, you know, why is it that you bully these people? Why is it that you bully this specific person? There's definitely a reason behind it, but no one wants wants to put in the work to find the reason. 
And so they're like, all right, well, we're going to suspend you, and then you can come back, and then you can terrorize people again until someone makes a complaint. And I, I think that's why bullying is still a big issue, especially in the cyber world now, where you can go on social media and just trash talk everyone from your class. Um, but even beside, but even besides that, that kind of comes into more of the responsibilities of the corporations that run those social media platforms, as well as the fact that law enforcement is not the great, not so great when it comes to. Um, enforcing that stuff but uh but yeah that's we don't ha- i don't think we handle bullying very well um the way that sexual harassment kind of i think that there's a lot of sexual harassment in the school system both from student to student but also instructor to su- student especially um and that's not great at all um and it can really, you know, it can really damage people. And the problem is there, I think there are also a lot of educational institutions or whatever that uh, someone will talk ill about a faculty member or a staff member. And it's like, well, we have had them on our staff roster for years now. No one's had any issue with them before. No one's brought any issue to them before so clearly you're just trying to get a rise out of us to get rid of them when in when in reality it's like no the person that instructor teacher is clearly being abusive either sexually or emotionally or mentally uh sometimes physically but you don't really hear too much about that but they can they still be abusive to their students um and it can be uh and it can be a real issue and then that goes into you know, who are we hiring as our teachers? I do think there are a lot of people who get into teaching simply because they want to teach people and they would enjoy teaching people. Hell, I would enjoy being a teacher if I felt I had the social skills to actually be a good teacher. Um, I don't think I'd be a good teacher, but I certainly would love to help people and teach people. But, um, But there are some people I think they're just like they had there was a position open for a teacher they got the position and they just sort of fester there and they run they have control they're a control freak and then they run their classrooms with an iron fist or they're very laissez-faire lackadaisical with the whole thing and either way it's it's very it's a very negative influence on kids and it's a it's a shame because you need teachers you need teachers to be there uh, as a support net to be there as sort of a helping hand or even a friend to students who need it, but also they're the greatest source of inspiration when it comes to students following their dreams, whether it's, you know, I forget which comedian it was, but there was a comedian that said, um, you know, I had this high school teacher um, who I would, you know, practice some of my jokes on and he would laugh and he'd be like, I'm going to see you on uh, I'm going to see you on like the late show or whatever as comedian, uh, in a few years. And of course he followed his dreams. He became a very successful comedian and he was brought on to late show and he flew his, uh, he flew his teacher out and put him in the audience and is like, you know, you were the inspiration and that sort of thing. Um, so it, so it is very important, but again, I think there are a lot of institutions who they will get reports of abuse from 
uh, from students regarding these teachers, and then they kind of just shove it under the rug or tell people deal with it or uh, we'll investigate it, and then no investigation happens, and you know that that can be an issue, and that can put people in a very vulnerable position. Um, hell, I I got a call um, from uh, from my job. I I work with a uh, I work with a local uh, university as a front desk worker, and someone someone called and said, "Yeah, I'm a student in Professor So and So's class," and we are all just like, you know, he's not teaching us. He's not teaching us well. He doesn't really teach us anything. He only quizzes us and gives us a bunch of weekly quizzes and pop quizzes. He doesn't tell us what is going to be on the quizzes. He doesn't make things like PowerPoints and stuff, uh, common knowledge. And I've emailed and texted and messaged, messaged all of my fellow uh, classmates who have this class and they all have the same grievance with him and you know we need to file we want to file a complaint I don't know how that turned out I hope that you know things did get resolved very nicely and positively for every party involved but yeah that's a thing that happens and I think that the education system needs uh, to be better about handling those situations and processing those situations um, yeah And like I said, there's a bunch of other stuff to worry about, whether it's sexual misconduct. um, There can be a lot of um, there can be a lot of discrimination in public education still, uh, a lot of racial discrimination, um, hell, even religion and stuff like that. Uh, And you could probably go to any high school and see the seeds of, you know, uh, violent activity or, you know, awful evil white supremacy in in the students or whatever and that stuff I don't think is entirely nipped in the bud or whatever and it's like no we support our students yeah you do but you really you really only support them when it's you know when it's February and it's Black History Month or when it's um or when it's like Women's History Month or something like that you're no better than the corporations who say, "Oh, we're behind you. We're behind these individuals 100%." And then you don't really do anything other than maybe hold a small assembly or put up a couple of posters, say, "Don't do this." You know, I think it helps to have. Uh, I think it helps to have organizations such as. Um, uh, what did we have in high school? I think it was just called like the Rainbow Alliance or whatever, and it was all about. Um, LGBTQ plus inclusion and everything and I knew a bunch of people who were in that club and they were all really sweet um but that's beside the point or part of the point I don't know but really there's kind of to wrap things up there's a whole whole lot of flaws that I think are just in the education system and the way that we educate people and I only touched on like the surface of it. I, I didn't even scratch the surface of the the mountain of issues that we can get into about the educational system. Again, I didn't really go too deep into to how it's funded. Um, uh, I didn't really get into much detail about um, about the difference between public and private schools. I think I think there can be a difference. My only issue is has to mainly deal with charter schools because they 
they usually kind of come off as like fronts or almost like scams, like educational scams that are done by people. And it's like, well, we cut a bunch of corners and then we had to close up shop because all the funds ran away and now we're under criminal investigation, that kind of thing. Um, and that that's really bad for all the students involved. Uh, I also am just going to throw it out there. Uh, the whole thing with college debt is definitely something we need to address um, because we are basically forcing people into getting a college education. You're saying no one, you're, you're going to say that no one forced us to get a college education. Well, a lot of people say that if you want to get anywhere in life and you want to get the career you want, then you are going to need a college education. Um, and you're going to have to work towards that. And the only way you can get a college education with these massive tuition rates is, um, you know, to take out massive loans. And then, you know, you can have someone like me. I'm from a pretty well-off family, and I only had a little less than, I think, 30000 in student loans, and I'm slowly chipping away to pay that all off uh, to hopefully one day be debt-free. Um, but there are people who have massive loans. They have hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of loans. And I think, um, I think the market for uh, student loans... Uh, is like 1.6 trillion right now in student loan debt, and you know that's not money that's like propping up the economy or anything. That's really only helping the 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 people who own the debt and are wanting to collect on all that debt or whatever until the day you die. And I and it doesn't help that you know you take on all this massive debt, but then immediately add college. You don't always succeed in getting a top-paying, you know, six-figure job that's going to help you pay off that debt in less than a year or whatever. Uh, some people get lucky if they can find a job that'll pay them a living wage. And, of course, you have to live on top of paying everything. And I think it's just bad economically, and I think it's bad for uh, the students involved, um, and I think it's bad for the country it's, that's uh, in general. So... You know, if you're ever in a discussion with someone and they say, hey, it's a good idea to, uh, it's a good idea to not forgive all student loan debt. You know, I didn't get my student loans forgiven and I turned out fine. Chances are those person, uh, those individuals, um, went to college, uh, on a very cheap dime, um, and they were able to get their, they were able to go through all their classes and get their, uh, and get very cheap loans. They might even not even had to take out loans or, you know, maybe there's someone who went on the GI bill or someone who was part of the military and said, well, we'll pay your, we'll pay your college for free. But then that gets into the conspiracy theory that, uh, they, they want to make college ridiculously expensive so that people are, uh, so that impressionable teenagers and young adults are forced to go into the military for free college education. And that way, uh, we have plenty of warm bodies to um, throw at pointless wars. But that's um, that's a little leftist of me. Um, and I'm not saying that is what's happening. But I'm not saying that's not what's happening either. But I don't know. Maybe the NSA will shut me down for speaking like that, but I'm not the first one to say it, so 
And there's only like three or four people that have listened to that. So shout out to the three or four of you that have listened to it, especially my friend Devante, who has actually texted me and said, I really enjoyed uh, listening to your show. I appreciate that. And also special thanks to to my mom and all of her friends who also try to support me. So I really appreciate all that love. All right, ranting aside, I think that's going to be it for all the things that are wrong that I think are wrong with the uh, North American United States educational system. And hopefully next week I can come up with a few random off the top of my head ideas as to how we might go about fixing them. And I mean, I've already said a couple of them, but I think I'll just reiterate them. And um, yeah, we'll go from there. This is great. Um, I enjoy doing this. And, you know, hopefully I'll be able to stick with it and keep giving you guys content. So thank you all for listening to this episode of Talks with Terry. If you want to get in touch with me, I'm at Real Terry Clark on Twitter that I haven't checked in a while. So I should probably do that. See what's up. I'm pretty sure Stephen King has posted another thing political, which is always fun. Uh, you can get to me there. You can also get to me Gmail. Talks with Terry at gmail.com. All lowercase, don't worry about it. That is talks with Terry at gmail.com. Let me know what you think of the show or give me some, you know, pointers or ideas for topics to go into the future episodes. And we'll see how it goes from there. Other than that, like I said, I will hopefully be back next week and posting the second episode, which is how I ideally would fix parts of the education system. But thank you all again for listening. I hope you all have a uh, wonderful day, wonderful week, wonderful month, wonderful life. And yeah, thank you all for tuning into this episode of Talks with Terry. Have a good one, ladies and gentlemen.